You're listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick. Hi, I'm Hamish. And I'm Scott. And today, Scott is going to be talking to us about invention versus design. Sounds interesting. <laughs> Thanks, Hamish. Um, it's a topic that sort of I haven't been meaning to talk about for a while, mainly because a lot of people who come to me are inventors. Mm-hmm. So they've done the first bit of it, and then it's up to me to design um, the product for commercialization and for the market. So I just wanted to talk about the difference between invention and design because actually I'm an inventor and a designer. I was first an inventor. As a kid, I always knew I was inventive, but never knew what to do with it. Uh, never knew how to make any money out of it or commercialize it or even make it work. You know, just did a few things mm. myself, but never really knew how to, how to make commercialize, commercialize it. So. Uh, one day I was at a, at a party and a friend of mine showed me a pair of glasses that he'd bought and they were designed by an industrial designer and he explained, you know, there's this, this field called industrial design. And so I looked into it and that was my next path. You know, I threw everything aside that I had and committed myself to university for a number of years and, um, and taught myself, or, you know, put myself through, through university and did industrial design. And that allowed me to sort of um, incorporate my desire for invention and make it commercial. And, uh, and so what I've noticed over the years, there is a big difference between invention and design. And um, some industrial designers can't invent. You know, they rely on someone coming to with them with the invention and then they commercialise it or they make it market ready and address all their mar- ma- manufacturing and uh, aesthetics and safety and ergonomics issues with it. Um, but uh, other, and, other, and other people who are inventors can't design. You know, there's, there's definitely a void. Some people can do both. And, um, you know, with what I do, I try and do first-to-world stuff. The invention part of it's really important for me. And people come, come to me with ideas only. Mm. And, that, and on a, an, an idea is not an invention. Mm. A solution to an idea, but a solution to a problem is the, is the invention. The idea is the idea. You know, I think we've spoken about it before. You know, I want to go to the moon. Uh, that's an idea. Um, the space shuttle was the invention to get you there. That's mm. the sort of how well, it works. To me, it sounds like it's two, what you have there, invention and design, you've got two levels of problem solving. So invention is all about solving a problem, like you might come up with an idea very quickly in the shower or wherever to say, well, there's a, a human need for this problem to be solved. Yep. But the how to make the mechanics of how that works, like for instance, like a car, you might come up with the idea, I want to... Yeah. We, we need to transport yep. people to and from A and B, and then all yep. of a sudden you, you've got the problem of how, well, how do you create yep. that? And so that's your job as an industrial, that your hat wearing an industrial yeah. designer is to solve that problem, yes. is how to produce that. I mean, isolating the, uh, isolating the problem is probably the idea part of it. Yeah, okay. Um, so, and generally, the great, great successful projects we've had here, um, someone in the field has an issue, and every day they deal with the same issue. That's the problem, and they go, you know, I want, I want my idea is to solve this problem I have at work. That's the idea. And then the invention is a solution to that problem. And then, and, and then design, industrial design, is all about um, taking that solution and manipulating it so it's market ready, it's got ergonomic you know, constraints in it, it's, got, it's safe, uh, it's manufacturable, it can be packaged and shipped and all these things, that all the other hats come onto it, it's marketable, you know, obviously it has to be appealing to the market, so it has to have the right colours, feel, shape, weight, you know, quality um, to make it work on the market. Mm. So there's a vast difference between the two. So what, what, I, what I think um, invention is, and invention, if you're inventing something, you really should still 
Um, like you find the problem, that's your idea. I've got a problem, I want to solve this problem, that's my idea. And then when you, when you go to try and solve that problem, what I do is I set a, a number of criteria in my mind that need to be solved. You know, it, it has to you know, open easily, it has to fit inside a certain hole, whatever. You have to put all these things that, that really are requirements of the project in your mind, and there might only be five of them, just directors. And they, what I do is I just settle those in my mind, and that takes a little bit of research, find out what the market wants, you know, basically find out how to, what, what the solution of the problem entails, and mark those things down. And then when you have those things in your mind, you memorize them, and everything you see, look, feel, do, interact with, think about, start to just, you know, work around those ideas. And so sometimes you can see something and, it, and with those criteria in mind, you can, oh, that, that actually could work for this. And you just open your mind. It's like when you buy a car and you never see many of them, then you buy this sort of car and then you see them everywhere. Mm. If you set those criteria up, you'll start to see things that relate to your project. Mm. And it really helps to sort of solve the problem in a right manner because a lot of inventors come to me and they've solved a problem in one way, mm. but it doesn't really suit the market or it doesn't really solve the problem the way it should. So we just gotta go back to scratch again and start again and really just really get that criteria correct first and then redo it in a way that's really gonna suit what the problem is, what the need is, and solve it properly. Mm. And then once you have this uh, invention, um, you know, which is solving of the problem, um, then the industrial design part of it is all, all about making it the commercial viability. Some people call it in, the innovation part of things, making it commercially viable. But I'm more, I'd, I'd rather call the innovation part of it taking that whole bundle that I, that I develop and making it commercial. That's what I think is the innovation part of it. Right. To innovate it, to, to commercialise it. But that's very personal. I just see them as different stages, idea, invention, design, innovation, mm. so commercialisation. But would you agree that the critical element in all of this is a design brief? I'm not sure whether you actually write design briefs, sure, but sure I do. think, sure I know in, well, in my role with branding and communications, you've got to, as projects take on a life of their own, when they progress, they often, when people see what you're doing and then you come up with a message, it's always good to have, well, especially with naming, you've got to have a design brief, otherwise you can go in a thousand different directions and all of a sudden you, you yep. just keep, you you just end up going down a, a, a path which is not necessarily what the inventor intended. Yep. But that's, from what you're saying though, not necessarily a bad thing because as you go and do your research, you might find a better way yep. of executing the idea yep. to get a better solution for the inventor. So the design, yep. so the design and the invention is very much... Uh, fluid for a while until you do your research and then I'm guessing you call it a design brief? Yep, I do. My, my design brief, so I've tied up my proposal. Okay. So it maps out what I'm trying to achieve, the objectives and uh, the criteria we're trying to meet. So... So hang on, do you do the design brief as part of that proposal? Or yeah, is that something I do. That you, I combine it. So, so you do everyone, that as part of the project? So you... you yeah. I'm sort of getting into the nitty gritty of your contracts here. But yeah, I do. And it's a little bit different because I do things on a fixed estimate. So right. my, my biggest uh, bugbear about our industry is um, the hourly rate thing can go around and around. And I understand why people do it because, you know, sometimes it's R&D. Like you just got to try and find a solution for people. But well, hourly rates are unethical. <laughs> well, they are because they're good for you. As in, you don't use Look, them. You know, I, good I've seen the... people go around around circles and come to me with a with a concept after spending a lot of money and not even having anywhere near a solution. No. And you know, to me, I just feel like 
I've been doing this for a lot of to- lot of years. I know I, I know mostly what sort of time period it's going to take for certain things. Mm. Some of them, you know, you seriously have to do some serious R and D. You can't until you know where you, what direction you're taking. You have to do the research. So sometimes I'll quote a research phase and I'll say it might be X amount of money towards the research phase. And then if we at the end of that we've got to re- reevaluate, mm. but we we don't set a budget for that. But we don't know where that's going to end. But then once you have the direction for the product, and quite often what I do is I'll actually, before even doing the quote, have had a lot of thought about it, try to put myself in the shoes of the user, end user or the, the person you're going to be selling to, and already sort of be mapping out what sort of direction we need to take on it. So already have a few criteria all put in place, and in the proposal I'll have requirements, but listed out, which pretty much are going to direct the project mm. in the future, because you've sort of, you sort of done enough research to find out what's needed to solve the problem. And then once you have that, you don't know what the answer is yet, but you, at least you have directions and signposts and you know wants and needs you know, criteria that you work towards. And that's really more about understanding the the, the, the need of the project. Why are we doing it? You know yes. what I mean? So, yep. and and what you've got to avoid, I guess, there is. Um, I mean, you talked about ego with uh, Alan last week, uh, which was a great great little podcast there. And ego is a massive. Uh, and a uh, uh, killer of, of good good design and and what happens there is you've got in your mind have a whole lifetime of experiences that you just want to just pour into your product because that'd be you it's mm. like a reflection of you in, the, in this product but the problem is you're not buying the bloody thing no <laughs> and so you you really have to just put that all aside and we always just say just check your check the egos at the door when you walk in here there's, there's no wrong answers when you're doing the, the design brief and all the rest of it. But, you know, it's not, not about you. It's about, you know, put, immersing yourself in the needs of the, or, or almost becoming the person who's going to use this thing mentally so that you can sort of determine what the requirements of the project are before you start. And then mm. once you have them set down, obviously, then you just follow them through. Mm. Well, I think but the, that all comes down to, to good guidance as well. I mean, using yeah. third parties, or we've discussed in previous podcasts, you know, the, the value of service providers, not that we should call people service providers, but... Uh, if you're working with a good team of people around you, the ego does get checked in, into the corner, like you say, because everyone's got a commercial focus and a commercial mindset, not just, a, you know, I've got a great idea and I'm yeah. going to look good and, exactly. you know, I'm going to end up in the newspaper. I mean, yeah. if, if that's all the objective is and it really, the, that is not an objective, yeah. that's just looking good, that's yeah. just, you know, Instagram... Uh, opportunities, which yeah. is great, but if you want to make dollars, it's yeah. Yeah, there's a big difference between, between uh, you know making dollars and you know designing for a design award. And I see a lot of a lot of designs come to me that they might have not have been selling well or whatever, but mm. they, they're really beautiful um, and they've won a design award. Mm. But design awards don't make you money. No, they and don't, so, and that's the same in my industry as well. Mm. I mean, you, you get uh, branding annuals. I mean, I used to buy them years and years ago. Uh, like advertising annuals and used to look at them for ideas but you, you soon realise that you there's no when when they give out that award it's just an award saying yes here's the art director here's the designer and isn't this an amazing concept there's nothing in that that says oh well when we launched this campaign they made an extra million dollars or two million dollars from that ca- there was nothing it, the, the disconnect between the commercial world yeah. and the design world unfortunately uh, and that's why a lot of people are sceptical of design, your design, my design, because it, what, what does it equal? Mm. You know, but there is an inherent value in what you do, and especially you know, when you've got design briefs and you've got a problem there, to properly execute and solve that is, is quite a skill. Yeah, yeah. So I guess industrial design is, um, 
when you start doing the industrial design part of it, it's really user-centric. So industrial design is all about making the user experience really, really good. And so you sort of, you've solved, the, you've had the idea, someone's come through the door, they had an idea, we've invented a solution or they've invented it and placed it in front of me. The next step is, well, either making that invention perfected to the needs of the project. And then the next part is the industrial design, which is all about, um, you know, aesthetics comes into it, you know, but I'm a massive fan of form following function. You know, the, mm-hmm. one of the best examples of that is Philippe Stark's um, Juicy Salif. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an amazing piece of art that mm. is very functional. And it's the simplest way you could probably do that. And simplicity is so beautiful when it's done right. Mm. And, you know, if you looked at all the criteria that he was trying to achieve, get, get, lem- get, get lemon juice out of a lemon, and he's just, he's just done it in the most simple way. And that makes it beautiful. It's mm. a piece of art. Um, you know, so he, he had one little fault in that. And the fact that it was, just didn't have... Um, being aluminium, it got a you know can get a little bit um, dull from the lemon juice. But nowadays, there's there's beautiful f- um, um, finishes, mm. PVD finishes that can cover that, and and it would be a, it would last forever. So I mean, other than it was just absolutely perfect design for the, for the product. But um, yeah, really really good good design that one, and um, a really good example of form following function and the simplicity of that thing making it so beautiful. And making things simple is actually the hardest part. You know, you can throw technology at things, throw components and, and pieces and everything, and you become a very clumsy product that's very expensive, and that suits no one's needs. You know, your profits and your purchase, the most more simple and less complicated that you can make a product. One, the startup's much cheaper. You can always add features later on, or, or is it, but you've got to stage it up. You've got to start off with your budget. Um, so you've got to design towards that. And you're just going to make this thing the user just want to use it you know mm. they want to buy it and want to use it they like the look the look of it the feel of it the touch of it fits in their hands nice the ergonomics is right safety is correct it ships and packages well all that sort of thing is all about is what industrial design is all about all the engineering to make it work and be toolable um, and assembled and all the rest of it that's the industrial design so yeah big differences between invention and design and um, I guess the key to it all still is make it user centric mm-hmm. always think of the final user or the person you're selling it to, the, the person who's going to interact with it the most, and set all your criteria, even when you're inventing or designing towards that end, mm-hmm. and you'll end up with a great project, and make it as simple as possible. That's the okay. key to it. Right. And so what, what tips would you have then? What, what uh, should be top of mind for inventors in working with a designer? Look, um, well, inventors working with a designer, you know, I think looking at what criteria they've like my, my proposal, I always ask the, ask the client to look at it and, and see if they agree with it. It's their first stage of evolution. Mm-hmm. If they look at my proposal and I put a list of criteria that I've gone and researched and figured were, were correct and he, and that the inventor, he or she, looks at it and goes, hey, Scott, you're off base here. I, I think the user needs this. You know, I've got to, re, I've got to re, re-address that and make sure I'm right. So if you're an inventor talking to an industrial designer and... Um, your idea of what you want out of the project is differing vastly from what the industrial designer is talking about, then you probably need to talk about it really early. Mm-hmm. Because if you fail early, it saves money. It's much better to fail really early in the piece. And the design brief yep. is the first start. You know, if it's wrong, it needs to be addressed. And then get it correct, work all the way through. Okay. To so, try and so get re- that, that list of criteria you're designing towards needs to be really succinct, correct, and suit 
suit your needs as an inventor. Mm. So be prepared to have robust arguments. Yeah. That's really what I'm hearing there. I mean, that, 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 that works for any sort of design. You've got to be that's able right. to have a, that's why you've got to work with clients uh, and suppliers, if you like, who are peers. If, if someone is seen to be above the other, that's okay. where the disconnect comes in and that's where you'll get conflict eventually down the road is yep. because someone hasn't spoken up. And you've got to speak up. I mean, yep. some of the most yep. successful products I've been, uh, well, design projects I've been involved in, there's been a huge amount of argument. You know, where someone's got an idea on either side and you've got to, if you can't argue it, well, then it's not worth it. Mm. As in, if you can't, you've got to sell the ideas to one another yep. and sell concepts to one another and base it on fact yep. rather than, just that's again, the key. You've got to base ego. it on the fact. Ego and competitive natures. You know, mm. people who just want to win an argument, they can they can just yeah. direct them. You know, they might win the argument, but they might not be right. So you really have to base it on fact. You really mm. have to base it on some sort of scientific or research fact that you mm. found and say, look. And I'm I'm the first to say, look, if I if I've missed something and the inventor says to me, look, Scott, I think it should be this way. I've been I've been thinking about this for ten years because I've been in the industry. It's bothered me for ten years. Mm. I think it should be this way. And I look at it and go, oh, you're right. I, I, would, I would change that brief mm. in, a set, in a heartbeat. Mm. On the other hand, if they're trying to drive, you know, uh, just recently I had a client who just had a colour scheme he loved. And at prototype stage, I'm letting him go, you know, go with it. But I know it's a, it's a utilitarian product and it needs to be really look as simple as possible. So it's a black and white colour mm. scheme for me to mm. make it suit the market. Yeah. Um, at prototype level, a bit of colour in there is going to be great because it's going to make it great in the, in the, in the demonstration videos. But eventually I'll, I'll work him back into the Oh, the but also take into consider, consideration there what audiences you're showing that exactly prototype right, to. So that it. could be critical. It could be, but not in this situation. But, you know, it's it's it's, a, it's an ego-based decision. Oh, mm. I really love this colour scheme. <laughs> Can we put it in there? And, you know, I, I sort of argued a, bit, a little bit back and forward and then uh, just gave in on it because I, don't, I know it's not going to be important at this point and it's going to look better in the video. So we're going to do that and eventually I'll just sort of bring it back around to what the actual market's going to want to see there. Mm. And it's nothing to do with me. I don't like black and white more than anyone else. <laughs> you know, my favourite colour is blue. And, you know, we ran a, a whole lot of scenarios through it. And when I looked, at, sat back and thought what the, what the market wants, it wants black and white. You know, it's a really utilitarian product. It doesn't need to be flashy. The more flashy you make it, the more it, it, it looks like it's doing more than it needs to. Mm. And it just needs to be mm. one little thing. Yeah. So it, it, this is uh, just a little example. But, you know, it's just your needs aren't really important in the project. Um, Unless you're the actual consumer, and, you, and your needs reflect what the what the market actually will want, mm. and that's sometimes the case. Yep. Yeah. Great. So uh, for all those budding inventors out there, give Scott a call if you've got any questions. <laughs> <laughs> call Hamish. <laughs> no, and then I'll tell you to call Scott. <laughs> thanks, Hamish. All right, thanks, Scott. You've been listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick.